Hello and welcome to this IDP Connect podcast discussing the policy landscape concerning recruitment and admissions to UK higher education. I'm Aaron Porter, Associate Director at IDP Connect, and I'll be chairing the podcast. Before we get to today's topic, I have one important announcement to make. We are delighted to announce the launch of the 2021 What Uni Student Choice Awards, or as we call it, the Wooskers. In recognition of and to shine a light on the great work that universities and FE colleges are doing, which may not be getting recognised in the current climate, this year's Wooskers will be wholly submission-based. Judged by a specifically chosen What Uni student panel, we welcome submissions for any or all of the following categories. Student support, diversity and inclusion, excellence in digital innovation, enhanced graduate outcomes. So if you want to showcase your achievements and innovations to prospective students before the clearing period, gain free marketing material and £10,000 worth of student bursaries and be featured on What Uni uh, and idp.com, make sure you submit your application for this year's Whiskers. So please visit idp-connect.com for more details. So to the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by two sector leaders to help me tackle today's subject. First, uh, let me introduce uh, Vanessa Varvas, the Chief Marketing Officer at the University of East London. Vanessa, how are you? Thanks, Erin, for the, the introduction. Um, I'm good. and sunny day here uh, in London, so uh, thanks for the invitation of being here. Yeah, sunny, sunny for me too, and uh, I think we're all the better for it. <laughs> and my second guest is Mel Fowler, the Associate Chief Operating Officer at De Montfort University. Mel, welcome. How are you? Uh, hi, I'm really well, thank you. Yes, it's a, a beautiful sunny day in North Northamptonshire as well, so it's yeah, lovely to be joining you this afternoon. Fantastic. Thanks very much. So on to the topic, uh, which is clearing and whether it will be different in 2021. The last 12 months have, of course, been a bit of a roller coaster, to say the least, for admissions teams in UK universities. Uh, just 12 months ago, as we went into lockdown, there were real concerns about whether students would come at all in September. And we were dealt with last minute changes to exam grades, the introduction and then the removal of the temporary number controls. And finally, having to move uh, our clearing operations to largely, or in some cases, entirely digital or virtual uh, last summer. So a year on, some of the uncertainties from COVID are beginning to settle down, but many challenges remain. And uppermost of these focus on how clearing might play out in 2021. So Vanessa, I thought I'd begin with a, a, just a, a general reflection uh, on any key takeaways from UEL and your experience of clearing in 2020. So what worked well and any particular challenges you faced last year? Yeah. You know, I was reflecting on, on the confirmation and clearing um, process last year and I look back in endearment of how it brought together staff and, and, and our students and wider community and kind of a, whew, on the intensity by which we went for a long period of time uh, in which going back and forth. But I will have to say, no matter whether it's confirmation and clearing, employability, retention, it comes down to kind of three key areas uh, that, that I reflected on. It's our people, process and systems. And so I should reflect um, University of East London had already embarked on a transformation process uh, which by which we were reviewing all our digital tools, which really enabled us a strong foundation to test and pilot and throw things in quite quickly, but also a part of business process review as part of that. 
Um, and so that really allowed us to, to um, set a strong foundation for decision-making in that period of time. Uh, but also over the last two previous confirmation clearing cycles, we really embedded a strong foundation for the operational side of, of planning for the confirmation, which helped us um, during that period of time. But there is three areas which I thought are in the reflection that really covered how the impact of the organization, but also our day to day. One is around people. I think the, the, the key around this was the, the collaboration required institution wide um, support, in, institution wide engagement, um, which used to be kind of maybe weekly leading up to it once every few days, but almost daily, and if not um, multiple times in a day with key strategic and operational players. So, so getting that time in people's diaries was really important, but I think collaboration was key. Integration was the other part of our business processes, of all those kind of things, because if you embedded one change in some part, uh, you had to really reflect on how it impacted the end-to-end -end journey, not just that area, because you can know if you mobilize and optimize one area, it can have a complete backlog in another area. So really going in with the principle of integration, and then the third area that was so key to that period of time was a strong clarity on decision-making. So really being clear um, on the operational decision-making and when things need to be escalated or cascaded for strategic decision-making. So that was a key area and, and looking when things had a backlog, how we needed to escalate and take decisions in that, that period of time. Second area was around communications. Now this provided challenge and opportunity using the right tools, but it came down to how quickly we could turn around content, um, escalate again and cascade decision-making, whatever that content had to be, uh, get it into the right platforms um, or inform the mem members that were part of the human interaction customer service. Um, so a big part of uh, the reflections in that area was in light of the confusion, most students start, sought information online first, but then went to multiple channels to validate that information. So didn't just rely on going to one source, they went to multiple, they went to external sites, they went to the schools. And then if they didn't get that information required, then they wanted the human interaction. But this also increased a uh, use of social media for query management. Um, and so we actually had to mobilize recruitment professionals on query management on, on, on uh, social media. But this allowed us to use some of our tools, chatbots, other things, uh, to avoid the cues in whether it was phone lines or other, other platforms like Unibuddy to deal with really the specific queries and then make sure that we, that human interaction, the value of being a human being and putting that empathy and personalization and being able to spend the time in that. Um, so, but the other part of mobilizing our tools was keeping them up to date. So you had to make sure again, that content was getting into not just one tool. So if you're putting it somewhere, it had to go in that integration piece across all tools. And then, but the key takeaway I took from last year was with your tools, if you're able to mobilize that manual, you know, the, the tools to do a lot of your manual work, it also allowed and gave you insight and data you could use to inform your daily or sometimes multiple times in a day decision-making that gave you evidence to, 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 to give to the decision-makers, whether it was myself or my colleagues. And so monitoring that data and insight uh, was really key. And so I'll a slight example was we suddenly had over a few, three days within that period, a huge escalation uh, of queries on uh, accommodation and it backed up our phone lines. But, and we had to, and then we actually were looking at the information that was online and it wasn't as specific as it needed to be. And actually the insight that we got from our tools informed us 
what our prospective students were looking for in accommodation. And we brought that to the executive board to make the decision on how we approach that strategic decision. And the third area in this, and then I will, I know I'm going on, so I'll, I'll cut it down, was actually in decision-making and conversion. And we did see a shift in how um, students and what they were making um, student decisions on. Uh, the number of deferrals that we were expecting didn't matriculate, and so it actually did come through. Uh, but through this kind of COVID period, the shift in priority of decision-making has come through. Actually, we're seeing an increase in quality of learning tools, uh, digital tools. So not in replace of face-to-face, but as an added value of the quality of the online learning experience. Um, and also uh, that employability recession-proof degrees now um, are what students are looking for. Uh, and that mental health has joined fees as a major barrier uh, in that decision-making. So really looking at embedding that into, into our conversion and, and content matrix. That sounds incredibly, uh, you know, a holistic take uh, on it. And, and I don't know whether uh, going into COVID, knowing that a transformation was, was, you know, already underway, made things, you know, at one level might make things more scary, but actually allows you to uh, deal with the circumstances you were having to face with, with greater agility. Uh, and we can, we can unpack that a little bit more later. Um, Mel, I mean, how would you describe um, the DMU approach to, to clearing and, and how early does pl planning begin, uh, particularly in an environment like this? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's obviously last year was a, a, a very unique year, but, it, but even prior to that, I think kind of our experience and perception of, of clearing has changed hugely, you know, over recent years. And you know, it's a, it's a third of our cycle now, really, I would say, if, you, if you're looking at that kind of traditional undergraduate full time. So you've got your first roughly a third of your kind of working up to your January deadline applications. Your next third's probably up to, you know, your acceptance deadline, your sort of traditional, you know, conversion of, of offers to acceptances. And then what we think of as clearing really is what comes next and how it's made up, the types of um, students that you've got in the mix has really changed as well. So again, it's probably broken roughly into thirds. Um, yes, you, you have still got, I guess, what we would think of as traditional clearing students who kind of miss grades, look very quickly for alternative opportunities around A-level results. Um, but at most, again, I'd say that's about a third. So you've still got a big, a big noise around um, A-level results day, but far less so than, than, than perhaps, you know, 10, even five years ago. Um, a third changed their mind and that's all sorts of reasons. And it, you know, it, 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 when, when we kind of have a look at our, our clearing insight, it never fails to amaze me the sort of the reasons that are in there. You know, there are some, some are quite predictable, some, some, some are kind of, you know, concerns about grades or think they're going to do better or don't want to leave home anymore, but there's all sorts of reasons. And then the final lot are just new. And I think there's, so much kind of more understanding now that you you can just jump into the cycle at, at a later point if you want to you can miss deadlines in a way that perhaps you, you know you couldn't a few years ago there's a you know um a kind of what we'd call a young mature audience as well so you know people that left college maybe two or three years prior and then decide that, that they're, they're going to come back and, and go through that university process after a bit of work experience so it's, um, I guess it's not a day that you plan a couple of months in advance anymore. It's a year round process. And that's definitely the way that, that our, our, our planning works. Um, I mean, the approach that we take, yes, there's a, you know, as, as I'm sure Vanessa has as well, there's a huge amount of modeling and, and forecasting and looking at, at historic trends. 
but also I think um, something that we we've just mentioned there about that kind of real-time information because every year is different perhaps every year hasn't been quite as different as last year was but there's always something isn't there that throws out the assumptions and that that pattern changes so yes there's a you know it's a it's a kind of it's a year-round approach but right up to the to the wire to the multiple kind of decision making meetings on the day you've got that that real world real-time insight that's coming through and I think what's interesting across both your answers is um, the policy landscape in some respects is driving universities on an ongoing basis, but also the changing expectations of a highly diverse set of uh, students, some of whom have quite traditional expectations and will fit into the old cycle quite well, but many of whom have quite um, different and changing expectations. And I think uh, that coupled with universities' own need and desire to, to, to innovate means that what we're talking about now is very different if we'd been having a conversation about clearing or even admissions, as you say, five, five years ago. Um, Vanessa, I'm interested, and in, in you touched on some of this. Um, I mean, the pandemic has shown universities in some respects to be highly agile. You know, we've all had to make huge changes in a short period of time. Do you think that provides some sort of springboard or confidence that there may be further changes ahead, whether it's in 2021 or, or beyond? Yes, thanks, Erin. Um, I do. I think this was a starting point in terms of escalating parts of what already was a transformation or change in the sector as a whole. So as I said, we were in a transformation programme. But what it did was really escalate parts of that to be able to embed a culture by which we can um, employ more agile decision-making. But I will just kind of, uh, in that reflection, I would say agility often addresses short-term outcomes uh, and you really have to balance it really carefully with the long-term um, strategic planning parts of it, the long and medium-term outcomes. And why I say this is, is in that period of time of intensity and constant agile decision-making, it really, showed how complex actually universities are as complex organizations uh, and, and how actually have many competing priorities and, and many of the colleagues in the in institutions are involved in all those competing priorities and so balancing that intensity of agile on top of the day-to-day -day change but also acknowledging that strong planning medium long term uh, is really important to be able to allow you for that agile and I think as Joe mentioned the real time uh, data insight and decision making. Uh, what one second area that actually was really interesting. We did we commissioned a polling a poll that really reflected um, sentiment from our current students and community on reflections of the COVID period. And out of this, we were known second as 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 a sector. He was actually second in the whole list of the most trusted type of organisation. Um, NHS being actually number one, which was really nice to see on there. And of course, this is just our own poll. But what that meant for me is part of uh, university governance is we are highly regulated as a public sector organization and quality assurance is behind that. And that actually establishes that the high level of trust is that we, we don't cut corners as part of that ensuring the quality insurance. But I think what the biggest difference is now in understanding is you don't have to cut those corners. What you have to do is define where agility fits in that decision-making, being really clear about that. And so 
whether it's under curriculum design, uh, but that you still have to work with all the regulatory bodies, but understanding where agile fits, where, you know, where we have the flexibility to move and experiments and, and, and a lot of what we've been working on over the last couple of years has been really moving in our curriculum at the pace with industry because of how quickly industry is changing. It's now thrown another wrench in at the pace in which change is happening. And we've got to build that agility in to how we advance our curriculum and how we build our degrees linked to particularly those recession-proof degrees. Yeah, and I think that's everything from the content of the existing courses we offer right through to turning, I hope I put, mean this in the nicest possible way, but turning the taps on and off uh, on the programmes that we need to, to respond to both um, labour market demands, but also student 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 demands. Um, Mel, um, one of the big talk talking points, and I guess we couldn't have a conversation about clearing without talking about the fact that students have to make big decisions, life-changing decisions in a pretty short period of time. And clearing often is seen as the moment that encapsulates that the most. Do you think um, the, the experience of 2020, last year's clearing, which you know um, was, was so much more remote because it needed to be, do you think that added uh, any particular pressures from last year? And do you know, have you any, are you anticipating how that might continue to play out in the clearing coming? So I think, well, I mean, one of the things that obviously the, the the key thing that applies pressure to applicants and students, I think, is the uncertainty, isn't it? And, and feeling like they, that, you know, that they, they haven't got their, their future sorted at that point and what they need to do about it. And I guess last year was the absolute perfect storm because there was uncertainty at the universities. We had number control, then we didn't have number control. Um, there was uncertainty. We didn't know how grades were going to be awarded, then grades were awarded, then there was massive controversy, then there were appeals. So for the actual, you know, for, for the applicant, it was it was just such a, a challenging window and not helped by the fact that universities were very quickly kind of having to reassess their planning and assumptions and what on earth to do about it all. So um, in some ways you hope, we don't quite know what the future is going to bring, but, but you hope some of those those pressures will, will at least ease for this year. And um, if there were going to be a positive, I think that there is probably a lot more um, understanding from universities about what young people have been through, about the challenges that they face, that, you know, that they, they kind of need to have that opportunity to put their case forward. So there will be more openness, I think, to discuss with applicants what their position is, what's happened, why they have or haven't got grades. Um, I think there is a kind of, yeah, hopefully a much more kind of applicant-centred, I don't know if there was an applicant-centred approach anyway, but I think that that was really kind of came front and centre last year and will continue. And also just the, the digital enhancements, the way that, that students can now research their options, you know, they can probably start a lot earlier, they can get a lot more in-depth information, a lot more of a feel for the staff, for life on campus remotely than, than ever would have been possible before COVID. So in a way, hopefully that will... Um, you know, a little bit more certainty for them, more openness for kind of the, you know, discussion of the options and guidance from the universities and more convenient ways to research might might bring some real positive benefits this year. Yeah, and that, that makes a, a lot of sense and I think speaks to the fact that the, the whole approach is, is changing. And on a similar vein, uh, Vanessa, um, I mean, have you been thinking about any messaging that might be different in 2021 and indeed any places that you might be looking to kind of engage with um, potential clearing uh, applicants uh, that you wouldn't have done historically? Yeah definitely I think um, 
I mean, we, we have acknowledged, like Joe, that this is actually more of an extended period of time. I, you know, we, it's more, yeah, it's, I think we've relabeled re that it's late application and clearing. So, so that we're, we're preparing for a extended clearing period with qualifications coming through to July all the way to October with less of a, an emphasis on that exact results day. And so also during this period of time, what we'll, I believe we'll start to see is, is even more, we get quite a diverse range of qualifications uh, for contextual offer making and contextual offer making for those that come from a diverse range of experiences. But we're, we're gonna, we're expecting to see more of that. But um, we all also, I think there's a pool of students in some of the latest UCAS Insight that have been indicated that uh, have been highly impacted by the COVID um, impact that we need to consider as part of our response and support, and that's the BAME and working class Londoners, which is targeted in our area. And so we've already been working with, with our local councils at enrichment and support programs in preparation uh, or financial programs behind the scenes to see what we can do to, to help those pool of students that are, are, are impacted with challenges around this area. I think our strong messaging is tied to uh, something that we've identified as be the change um, campaign. Uh, we started it throughout this year, but it will ramp up towards confirmation and clearing. Uh, this really addresses also the question that's happening in the sector of whether higher education is worth it uh, at this period of time. What's the value of higher education? What is the, the impact of higher education? Uh, it will go into very much our careers-led positioning, employability. It will involve a lot of our employer partners on, on, um, in the messaging as well. There's going to be a strong messaging around support and mental well-being. I think uh, mental health has come up as a key key challenge over the last um, over the last year. I think we want to be addressing and not shying away between the negative perceptions um, of universities that have happened in the news over the last last year last year, uh, particularly around student support. So linking that back of all the things that we've put in place to really focus that and authentic content to support that. And the other area will be on our dual delivery 2.0, which focuses on the value. What, what is the value of face-to-face -face and the value of online learning that will give us a unique way of delivering education going forward? And then the other area will be about uh, campus safety, COVID safety. And then the last area is around that, the whole messaging around our offer policy, confusion around the clearing process, a big part of, of the logistics and um, making sure that we're getting the information at the right time of that process. Yeah, well, there's a lot of messages to, to get across there. But equally, you know, we know that prospective students uh, are, are wanting, uh, there's a thirst for lots of, uh, of information. So that that's, I think, speaks speaks to that. I, I wanted to finish with, I suppose, quite a technical question, Mel, but but I, I think it's, again, one that we couldn't not, not cover. In previous years, there's always a suggestion that the advertised grade that universities go out to in their prospectuses and, and, and other things has some, you know, clearly is your important starting point, but there's a degree of um, uh, discounting or, 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 or flexibility, uh, and particularly so around clearing for many institutions, not all, but, but for many. But we're obviously in a slightly different year this year, where, of course, the teacher assessed grade now um, should bear a greater resemblance, a much greater resemblance to the final grade that's going to be allocated simply because uh, national exams are not being deployed uh, in this year. So it's a long winded way of me saying less variability, probably with actual grades 
do you think that will play out in any way that there may be less variability with advertised grade versus reality? Or do you think kind of market forces will just have to play out? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? And I guess it's a, just like last year was a, a kind of a, a great big unknown, almost social experiment. So so is this year again, isn't it? In a, in a similar but slightly different way. I mean, I think the big advantage this year hopefully I'm not jinxing this for, for everybody involved is that it will be more predictable and we, we've kind of we know what we're dealing with and we've, we've known pretty much through the cycle and the students know and the schools know so in terms of planning offer strategy kind of you know all of that I think things should be more stable which is kind of good, good news for the sector um, but I mean the most important thing with all of this is that students want their first choice university they've been through a long process of kind of research, of building relationships, the accommodation books, they've got, you know, their life planned out ahead of them. And that's that's what they want to do. And, and hopefully with a, a bit more certainty, a bit more stability, that will be, you know, be a bit easier to achieve for the for the sector and for the students this year without without all of the the kind of the, the heat and noise that we experienced last August. I guess again though on the on the kind of the, the grades and the university approach, it's it's back to that idea that clearing isn't perhaps what clearing was five years ago so it's a late application window isn't it it's not all kind of suddenly coming out of nowhere with uncertain grades on the on the kind of whatever of August it's a it's a kind of longer slower process and it goes on a lot longer as well you know that's the other thing we found amazing is with those late applications they're kind of going right through August and September so in some ways perhaps that brings a bit of um kind of a bit of a buffer against some of the, the, the trends going on out there and policy shifts. But, you know, fing fingers crossed, you know, we can just support the absolute maximum number of, of young people get to where they want to go this summer, because that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? I, I think that's a lovely note to, to finish on. And yeah, I, I, and we have referred to, you know, uh, understanding students and engaging students, but you're right. That, that's why we're in the the the, the, the organisations that we're that we're in, uh, and that's ultimately why we get up in the morning to to, to do what we do. Um, so I'm really grateful for for the conversation that we've had. Uh, as I thought it would, we um, stuck to the exam question, and then we also considered lots of other things as well, like any good um, higher education uh, policy discussion uh, uh, does uh, does do. So um, I'm grateful to both of you for your for your time. And just before I wrap up the uh, the podcast, just a quick reminder uh, for those of you that would like to get involved in the What Uni Student Choice Awards. The four categories, as I mentioned: student support, diversity and inclusion excellence in digital innovation, enhanced graduate outcomes, and all the details on idp-connect.com. So if you've got any comments on this podcast or indeed topics you'd like to see us discuss in future, um, please, uh, that's really welcome. Uh, please get in touch. And uh, for today, that's all for now. Thanks very much. Thank you.